0: Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, Lord willing, we're going to finish John 14 today. For many of you, you've been uh, following along with us over the last couple of weeks, and so you know that this is a continuation, a flow of thought uh, that's been happening for a few weeks for us, but again, in this, in this chapter and even the previous chapter, uh, Jesus is in the upper room. Uh, this is the last supper that he has uh, on this uh, earth before his crucifixion. And this is also where we see the institution of the Lord's Supper, and we see this ongoing conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And as he's having this conversation, this dialogue with them, he's continually teaching them many things, especially because he's about to leave and go to the Father. He's about to die, and then he'll have the resurrection, and then he'll go to the Father. And so as he's about to die, he's preparing them for that, and he's trying to focus in on their hearts. So a couple weeks ago when we were in John chapter 13, uh, again, all in the upper room here, all the same flow of thought, Jesus actually washes the disciples' feet. And he did that to uh, show them, show us and them three different things. One, that we need to be washed by Jesus. We need to be cleansed by him uh, to be saved, to be his. Uh, In addition to that, though, we still have to walk around this earth. We still are being sanctified, becoming more like Jesus. So we're still battling sin. And so that also means that we need our feet washed, as he does with those disciples. In addition to that, he also gives, uh, washes the disciples' feet to show an example to us of how we're to love one another. He says he gives, us, uh, gives them and gives us also the new commandment, which means we're to love one another as he has loved us. And we said a couple weeks ago that it's new in two ways. It's new that it's going to be tied to the new covenant that's talked about in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, where God will take out our heart of stone, He will give us a heart of flesh, and the Holy Spirit will dwell inside of us. And so that's going to be the, the power, the way that we're able to love one another in this new way. Uh, but also, Jesus says that we love one another in th- uh, the way that He's loved us. And what that means is He's given us that example. It's a new way because He's shown us how we're to actually love one another. So after He gives that commandment, uh, Peter, uh, among with the other disciples, they Uh, don't focus on those marching orders. They actually focus more on what's going to happen with Jesus, which is to some degree understandable. But instead of focusing on Jesus, they want to know, Peter in particular says, "Uh, Lord, where are you going? Uh, Why can't I follow you? I would lay down my life for you. And this is where Jesus explains to Peter that uh, actually you won't do that coming up. You'll actually deny me three times. Then we got into chapter 14. And it started with, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, also believe in me. And we talked about the difference between belief, which even the demons do, they believe in Jesus, but a better translation might be trust in God, trust in me, because trust has action, and that is something that we're to have. Our faith is to have feet, our, we are to trust in God, and that, will, that is directly linked to our hearts not being troubled, which we'll see some more of that today. Jesus explained that he was going away, or that he is going away, and that he's going to prepare a place. And the way He's going to prepare that place for us and for His disciples is through a bloody cross and through an empty tomb. He's going to go and die in our place for our sins. After three days, He's going to rise for our salvation, our justification. He'll be with the disciples for a while, about 40 days, and then He's going to go to the right hand of the Father, and one day He is coming back. We saw in John fourteen six where Jesus uh, Thomas asked a question where where we don't know the way where you're going Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life nobody comes to the Father except through me We talked about how this shows the exclusivity of Christ that there is no other way to God other than through Jesus and if he is the truth and if he is the life then certainly he is the way. We then saw Philip come into the picture and he asked a question about, well, you know, Lord, show us the Father. And and we see Jesus again just uh, explaining to them that he and the Father are one. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you obey Jesus, you're obeying the Father. They're so united. And it was an encouragement for us to see this, this plan and how united the Father and the Son are. And we've seen it throughout John and we'll see a little bit more today. He then moved on to explain that if they'll ask Anything in Jesus' name, that He will do it. Because again, as we grow in Christ, as we love Jesus and obey His commandments and get His Holy Spirit, then our will gets bent and turned towards God's will. And so when we pray with uh, in the name of Jesus, we're praying for the stamp of approval for Jesus. And if we pray in the name of Jesus, you're asking, Lord, I want this to happen. And I know it's in line with your character, your will, the things that you desire, which is ultimately the, thing God, the things God desires. He will grant it. Then we got into verse fifteen where it says, uh, Jesus says, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." We talked about this being not just a, a command, but it's actually an outworking. It's a future idea of when you, if you love him, then yes, an outworking is that you will keep his commandments. And Jesus explained that he's going to give another helper, someone else other than himself, who would come and it would actually benefit the disciples and benefits the fo- benefit the follower of Jesus, followers of Jesus rather, if they will. If Jesus will go to the Father, then He's going to send the Holy Spirit. God God the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And He will be with us for how long? Forever. That's right. And so we also talked about how uh, there's no way... That the, the believer can be lost because if we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us forever, and then we were to, uh, how could we then go to hell if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us? That's not going to happen. We cannot be lost. And that we, we did a side note there on just the principles of interpretation. We said we always start with the clear texts, and they help inform us of those that are more, uh, a little bit more difficult for us to interpret, or the unclear texts. And this is one that shows clearly that we uh, once we are saved, uh, we cannot lose that. Uh, the Holy Spirit was referred to as the Spirit of Truth, and, he, and it says that uh, we know Him, they know Him, and He dwells with us and will dwell in us. And that, again, is coming up that we'll see in the book of Acts. Jesus explained that He would not leave them as orphans, but He was going to return to them. They were going to see Him after His resurrection. Then He got into verse 21, which again mirrored verse 15. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And That ended with this idea of, I will love him and manifest myself to him, and that's where we stopped last week, and that leads into verse 22, where we're going to start today. So I'm going to read through the text, and you are welcome to follow along silently, and let's see what God has for us today in this passage. Verse 22, John 14, 22. Judas, not Iscariot, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Verse 22, again reminding you that this is all one flow of thought. Comes right off of 21, where again, as a way of reminder, Jesus just said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, whoever knows Jesus' words, his commandments, and keeps them, obeys them, he it is who loves me. How do I love, do I know, I'm not sure if I love Jesus. Do I love Jesus? Do you know his commandments and are you keeping them? Are you striving to keep them? It's a good sign that you love him. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So, verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot. <laughs> Real quick there, side note, how would you like to be this guy? This is Judas of James, uh, as mentioned in uh, Luke and in Acts. So, Judas of James' this other uh, disciple, how would you like to have to introduce yourself as, Yeah, hey, I'm Judas. No, no, no. No, no, not that Judas. Not a, not a scary. I'm, I'm the other Judas. That would just be uh, tiresome and probably uh, quite difficult and possibly frustrating to have to do that. Uh, you've probably heard that there are those who have the same names as serial killers, and they, some of them really have a tough life, and they have to actually change their, their names just to be able to function. There's a lot uh, to our names and what it's attached to. That's why, as we talked about before, praying in Jesus Jesus' name, it means everything lines up with him. So this Judas is saying, Judas, uh, Judas, and we're thankful for John clarifying, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? It's an interesting question here. Uh, As far as the translation or interpretation here, it really could be asking two questions. It could be saying, Lord, how, like, how are you going to do this? Um, Or it could be, Lord, why are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And I think both are great questions, and both are answered here in the text. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So in 23 here, we see part of the answer. So the first thing is, um, how will you do it? Well, what he's doing is the way he will manifest himself to his followers is he will give them the Holy Spirit of God. He's going to go to the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit will come. And the way we will know him, manifest, learn more about him, him be uh, just more revealed to us, is through the Holy Spirit coming inside of us, the teacher, the helper. And as we have the Holy Spirit, then we continue to love him and grow by keeping his commandments. So that's, that would be the how. Now the why is a good question. Why is it that you would manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Well, we actually see the answer to that a couple verses before when the Holy Spirit was brought up in verse 16. He, Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because neither sees him nor knows him. So why will He not reveal Himself to the world? Because they do not believe. They cannot believe, and so thus they cannot receive Jesus, information about Jesus, the love of Jesus. They cannot receive the Spirit, so thus He will not manifest Himself to the world. So how and why? Verse 23 again, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word, and My Father will love him, and He will come to him, and and we will make our home with him. Whoever does not love Me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me A couple things with verse 24 here whoever does not love me does not keep my words you're not even trying to obey jesus you're not following jesus you want to obey Your own words. We talked about this last week a little bit when we had the fruit. It's this idea of, are you, you have the fruit, the commandments of Jesus, do you have them and you're trying to move forward? And yes, even though you drop them from time to time, do you stop, get down on your knees, pick up that fruit, ask for forgiveness and repentance, and pick it up and what? Keep going. Or do you drop? his commandments or set his commandments aside, pick up other things and say, I'm not going to keep his commandments. Here's what scripture would say to you. If that's where you're at, then you do not love Jesus. He said at the end of verse 24, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Again, we show this, we see this relationship of the father and the son and the unity that they have, but also how the father is obeying everything or the son is rather is obeying everything that the father is telling him. He's saying the same things the Father's saying. He's doing the things that the Father wants him to do. And even though, as Jesus said before, that they are one, this shows the difference in their relationship as far as Jesus' role and God's role. Verse 25 These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. We've seen this a couple different times. Jesus saying things to prepare the disciples for the future. And brothers and sisters, this is the same thing He does with us. We have everything that we need to know in His Word right here. He's spoken these things to us beforehand, so that way we will not be surprised, but we'll have faith. He's saying, while I'm still with you, I'm telling you this stuff. But the Helper the holy spirit clarification there whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that i have said to you a couple things with this passage here uh, number 1 some people take this passage and say oh the holy spirit is our teacher is our helper and so as long as i ha- have the holy spirit he will teach me all things i remember all things and so i don't need the church i don't need the bible i don't need other christians i don't need pastors or teachers that's not what this text is saying What this text is saying is, in particular, it's talking to the disciples, to the apostles. If you remember that their relationship uh, with Jesus was a little bit interesting in the fact that they couldn't understand the things he was saying and the things that he was doing. It was veiled to them in many ways. They could not understand. Jesus' ministry had this veil over it because they needed, we need, the Holy Spirit of God to understand What's happening? The spiritual things. And so when it comes to Jesus' death, His resurrection, things He was teaching, His disciples, we've seen throughout John, over and over again, they just were not getting it. They were not understanding. But John also reminds us that it was after the resurrection that things became clear. They were able to understand different things. Well, that comes from this passage right here. The Father, uh, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It's after Jesus goes away, the Spirit comes, and then their eyes are open to the things that Jesus has taught them. They remember all things, which is very good for us, because it's through the the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of God working in them, that they remember all these things, and they wrote them down. And that's how we have the Bible, the New Testament. It's because God reminded them by uh, by the power of His Holy Spirit. It also says... In verse 26, now the, the, the first half here. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. That's again tied to Jesus' name. We're seeing the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the Father sending in the name of Jesus because Jesus goes and requests that, Father, that the Father would send the Spirit to us. But the helper, the Holy Spirit. Need, need two volunteers here? Good. Mr. Roy? Caleb, come on up. Okay, what we have here are two identical Tupperware boxes. And some of this illustration here, I actually saw a a great pastor, uh, David Platt. He's a great teacher, Bible teacher of the the Word. And um, he was using some of these... uh, containers here for an illustration he was doing, and I thought, oh man, that would be good for something that I want to do. So I'm going to tweak his a little bit, use a little bit of what he's doing, but I'm going to tweak it a little bit to fit our context today. So you have two of these containers right here, and they're identical, and that is to just show us the idea that we are all made in the image of God. We're humans, we're sinful, we're fallen, we're the same. Now, in each container, you can see that they're empty except for these stones that are inside, this one big stone in each one. And these stones represent the hearts that each of us have before we meet Jesus, before we become Christians. Every one of us, Scripture talks about, has a heart of stone. That means when when God's Word comes to us, that means when God speaks to us, we do not accept it. We do not absorb it because we have these hearts of stone. Okay, That's what these are in here. Now, um, Caleb. Caleb professes faith in Christ. He hears the gospel message and believes. So what has happened then is that that heart of stone has been taken out. This is in in accordance with the the new covenant that we see in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And the heart of stone is taken out and replaced with a heart of what? Flesh. Now I don't have any flesh with me today, but I thought I'd grab this Play-Doh and I tried to get, as you can see the lid here, the color that would most uh, match up to flesh. And then uh, as I opened it, and it is blue, then all you teachers and mothers and those who work with little kids and have little kids realize the frustration, and now I do too, of Play Doh with kids. So this is our blue uh, Play Doh, but again, notice it's soft. It can be molded, it can absorb, it can accept the things of God. Now, yes, from time to time, if you leave the Play Doh out, it will get dry a little bit and get hard. But it never turns to stone. Brothers and sisters, God, what He does is remove that heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. And you will never go back to a heart of stone. So now this rock is gone and the flesh, the heart of flesh is inside. But, as we've just been reading and learning about For the the believers who have come to Christ, and especially uh, His followers, we see in the early book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes on them and dwells inside of them, as we've been seeing throughout this this chapter that was going to happen. So now you have this balloon that's going to represent the Holy Spirit. And it's full, and it's big, and it fits inside this container, kind of. And even the lid barely goes on. Why? Because the Spirit is just full and busting out. So Caleb has this now, this this heart of flesh, and he has the Spirit of God living inside him. Remember this this reminds us of the fact that where Jesus says that he is in us. He is in us. How? By the by the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So now this is where Caleb is at. And Roy, it has the heart of stone. Brothers and sisters, listen carefully. If you are a true follower of Christ, you have a new heart. And you have the Spirit of God. And, you not, you, and how long does the Spirit of God stay with you? Forever. There, some of you in here may still be in this situation where you have a heart of stone and you're trying and you're trying, but it's just not working. Why? You cannot follow God's commandments. You do not love Jesus and you know deep down you truly don't. Why? Because you have a heart of stone and you need to cry out to God for a heart of flesh. So now if you continue on to this next passage, or this next verse, and we're going to sit here for a little bit. It says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I want to hone in on this for a few minutes. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. You see our balloon here that Caleb has? Look what it says. Peace. We have... The Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. And thus, we have the fruit of the Spirit. That's to be in us and come out of us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's inside of us. Here's what's interesting. I love what Jesus says here. He's going to give us His peace, but it's different than the world's peace. It's not as the world gives. Well, why is that important, Jesus? It's extremely important. Why? Because honestly, the world can't really give peace. What the, wor- the best thing the world can do is try to show you something that looks like peace. And now, peace is something we all want, even if you've seen the Miss America pageants. Whenever they're asked the question, what is the one thing you would want, the answer is supposed to be, "We need, we want world peace. Religions and... Philosophies, ideologies, they're trying to help people to find some type of peace, inner peace. There's war all over the world. There's war in our hearts. There's war with one another. We constantly have issues with friends, family members, wives, husbands, kids, aunts, uncles, grandparents, constant conflict. We want peace. And what Jesus says is He gives a different kind of peace than the world gives. The world can give you something that looks like peace, but inside, you're broken. And the other thing about the world's peace is it's contingent on what's going on around you. Yeah, if you can get away from everybody and not have any issues for a little bit, a couple minutes, ah, I've got peace. Jesus says, no, no. I've got a different peace for you. See, the world will tell you to search inside for your inner peace. Here's the problem. You can't find it there because you have a heart of stone and a sinful nature. You will not find peace until you find Christ. Christ is the way to peace. First, we need peace with God, and He settles that on the cross and with the empty tomb. That's how we have peace with God, through the blood of Christ, trusting in Him. That gives us peace with God, and then because of that, because we know how much we're loved, because we know how much we're forgiven, because of the great work that Jesus has done, we can then have peace with others. And ultimately what this brings is when we have peace with God, peace with others, we have this peace inside. But we need the Holy Spirit in a supernatural way to come live inside of us. And as He comes in from the outside in, in a supernatural way, He comes in and He brings the fruit of the Spirit. He brings peace. Don't look in yourself, inside yourself for peace before you have Jesus. No, no, no. It needs to be put there by Jesus. He needs to give it to you is what He's saying. And praise be to God that it doesn't change because of circumstance. And it doesn't just look like peace. It can truly be peace even when you are struggling with things, even if you're having relationship issues, marriage issues, even if you're being persecuted, tortured, about to be martyred, sickness, death is on the way. There is a peace that surpasses all understanding. And it's a deep peace that comes only from the Holy Spirit. But some of you would say, I'm a Christian, I'm certain of that, but I don't have much peace. How many of you in here Christians? Yes. But you would also say, I don't have peace. Brothers and sisters, that may be because deep down you do have the Holy Spirit of God. He never leaves us. But that balloon is pretty deflated, like this one. So it's inside of you, with this heart of flesh, in, this, in the same container, but it's not full. It's not coming out. This is the idea of us quenching the Spirit of God. We have the Holy Spirit in us, but again, we either walk in step with it, with Him, or we don't. And either love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control come out, or they don't. Or the works of our flesh, because there's this battle constantly happening. So we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and He's with us for how long? Forever. And He's inside of us. And so then, what happens is, if we will read our Bibles, this deflated balloon, what? Blows up a little bit. And if we will pray and meditate and talk to God and have silence and solitude, what happens? Gets a little bigger. If We will be with God's people and worship Him and gather together and not forsake the gathering what happens? It gets bigger. If we will repent of our sin and not walk in unrepentant sin and we will confess that to God, confess that to one another, forgive other people, stop judging and hating all these different things that we do, then the fruit of the Spirit continues to grow and... See what this balloon says? Peace. It said the same thing as the balloon that was already blown up, but as the balloon grows, as the Spirit grows, as, it, as He grows inside of us, as the fruit of the Spirit continues to come out, peace grows inside your soul. However, if we walk in sin and darkness and focus on the things of this world, it gets a little smaller. We neglect our Bible reading and Scripture memory and focusing in on the Word that gives life to us, the, our Bread, our daily bread. If We don't take time to pray to our God and be with Him and speak with Him and go into our prayer closets and pray corporately. If we will not gather with His people and sing praises to Him and we focus on ourselves instead of Him, it goes, doesn't mean you lose the Spirit of God. We never lose Him. He's with us forever. However, the Fruit of the, sp- of the Spirit, in particular peace, will not be overflowing. Brothers and sisters, you are one of these three. You either have this heart of stone and thus no peace. You either are a bit deflated right now because you're not trusting in the work of God, the work of Christ, obeying His commandments, loving Him, following Him, so thus the Spirit of God is great inside of you so you have a very small amount of peace. Where you're full and the peace is just flowing out. Which one are you? Does it make sense? Good. Thank you guys. You can go sit down. Verse 27 again. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So then he goes back and says the same thing he said at the beginning of chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. One of the great things that a a peace from God, the peace of Christ, that we need to let rule our hearts, one of the great things about that is we don't have to be afraid and we don't have to be deeply sorrowful. Why? Because that peace, again, surpasses all understanding and it drives us. What do we have to be afraid of? In particular, if you'll remember, and this is something I want to, like I said, I saw Brother David Platt do uh, with these containers. Here's the part that he did, which I think is really helpful. What would you need to be fearful of? Right? We have, uh, this was Caleb's here. He has a new heart. He now has the Holy Spirit living inside of him. Christ in him. Right? But now, watch this. Scripture also tells us that we are what? In Christ. In Christ. In a bigger container. So we're in this container. So we have inside of us Christ, and now we're inside of Christ. And then Scripture also tells us that Christ, the Son, is in the Father, and the Father is in the Son. So now this container is in the second container, and this container is in this container. And we have this balloon inside, this Holy Spirit inside of us that gives us great peace and protection. Do you think anything's going to happen to you there? You are safe. You are loved. You have peace. Verse 28, You heard Me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved Me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Jesus now Continues to go back to, why is it that they're afraid? Why is it that they're troubled? He's going back to saying, you've heard me say I'm going away, but I'm going to come to you. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit of God. And here's what's interesting. In this, uh, I saw this in one of the commentaries I was reading, and this, I thought this was very insightful. It says, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. What really stood out to me about this is where Jesus says, if you would have loved me, which ultimately is implying that they did not love him, you would have rejoiced. They should have rejoiced. They should, they should be rejoicing that Jesus is going to the Father. Why? Because Jesus going back to where he came from. Many of you remember what it says in, in Philippians where it talks about Jesus and how he, he gave up that glory that he had with the Father in heaven to come and serve Jesus. Humbly serve us to come and die on a cross. So what Jesus is saying is you would rejoice if you knew that I was going back to the Father. I'm going back to where I belong, to where my glory is to be with the Father. You should be rejoicing about that. But instead, you have not loved me. And so you've thought about yourself. You've been thinking about yourself. Brothers and sisters, I think we do this all the time. I think we focus in on what's going on in our lives, focus on ourselves so much, and we actually cannot rejoice. We do not rejoice when God is doing other things that line up with His glory. We don't rejoice at the things that pleases God. We rejoice at the things that please us. Where are you at on this? Do you focus way too much on yourself and not even see and rejoice at the things that God is doing? Of course it's, un- it's understandable that they love Jesus. but Do they love him enough to say, go to be in your glory? Do we love him enough to say in our lives, do what you need to do, God, for your glory? Can you rejoice when you see other brothers and sisters, good things happening in their lives, even if it's not happening in your life? Or are we too selfish? I think we can learn here from this. He ends that verse with saying, for the Father is greater than I. And I just want to explain briefly that uh, what this can't mean because of other passages that we've seen that God is greater than Jesus and in, in His existence. Like God the Father is really God and Jesus is kind of God. Jesus is Fully God, fully man, truly God, truly man. He existed in eternity past, God the Son. We've seen in John that He was in the beginning with God and was God. He created all things, all things are held by His powerful Word. We see these things about Jesus, so it can't mean that in some way God, is, God the Father is truly God and, and God the Son isn't God or He knows more than Jesus or something like that. That's not what this is saying. It's more equivalent to the idea of if I were to say um, that the President of the United States is greater than I am. We're both humans. We're both made in the image of God. His position, his role, his duty is greater than mine. That's what this is saying here. The son has submitted to the father and the father's plan, and he's carried it out perfectly because of his love for the father. And the, Father has blessed the Son and answered his prayers and done performed these miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Son, to show his love for the Son. So there is great unity. This is just saying that their position, their duties are different, and the Son is going back to be with the Father. If you have any question on this, you can go to the book of Revelation. It's very clear there. It's been clear in John as well, obviously, because that's why they picked up stones to kill him, because he was claiming to be God. He says, I and the Father are one. But also in Revelation, multiple times, Jesus explains that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You can't be that and not be God. He also forgives sins. Only God can do that. Last couple of verses here. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. goes back to a little bit what he said in verse 25. He's telling them beforehand, so that way they're not surprised. They're not concerned. Oh my gosh, this wasn't part of the plan. What are we going to do? He's saying, I'm telling you, so that way when it happens, you're going to believe. We've seen this before in John. Talking about Judas in particular. And this is true again in our lives. He's given us his word. He says, you will be persecuted. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face persecution. You will face struggles. The world will hate you. It's going to be a battle. Satan's going to go after you. All these things are going to happen. We shouldn't be surprised when they happen. In fact, it should strengthen our faith because he's already told us it would happen. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. Of course, this is referring to Satan. He's the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. And to say that he's coming, specifically, if you remember, he's entered Judas, and what this is talking about is Judas has gone away to betray Jesus, to do the evil works that he's going to do. It's Satan that's ultimately driving this. Even if you study, again, the book of Revelation, you peel back the veil there, and you see that ultimately, this is Satan trying to do all this work, using sinful humans to accomplish his plans. But his plan is not greater than God's plan. Ultimately, the sovereign plan of God is what's happening. And so, yes, what this is saying is, yes, Judas is coming back. Satan is coming back, the this world. So there's not much time left for them to talk. But Jesus says clearly, he has no claim on me. Satan has no claim on Jesus. Jesus doesn't have to give some debt, some payment to Satan. In fact, what he says, verse 31, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. What Jesus is saying is, yeah, Satan's coming back to do his part. We don't have much time together, but he has no claim on me. He has no authority over me. He's not doing anything that's apart from the plan. I love the Father, he's saying. And I'm going to obey perfectly, even to death on the cross. So that the world will know that I love the Father, and the Father and I are one. Brothers and sisters, I need you to hear that if Satan has no claim on Jesus and you are here, you are in Jesus and He is in you and you are in the Father with Him, then hear this, brothers and sisters, he has no claim on you either. He has no claim on you either. Be encouraged. Brothers and sisters, remember, I want to give you these last points and then we'll do the last verse together. Things to remember. You have the Holy Spirit, your helper inside of you, to remember that God has made his home with you. God has made his home with you. Remember, brothers and sisters, that God takes out that heart of stone. He gives you a heart of flesh and we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. And Jesus gives us His peace and as we walk in step of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit grows inside of us and His peace bursts out of us. It doesn't change on circumstance. Realize you can never lose the Holy Spirit. He's with you forever and you have access to peace because it's in a supernatural way has come inside of you. Walk in step with Him. Brothers and sisters, let's rejoice in what God delights in and not focus on ourselves. And again, remember that Satan has no claim on Christ and thus has no claim on you. Last part of verse 31 says this, Rise, let us go from here. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are thankful for this word, this time together. We do pray that you would remind us of these things, remind us of these truths, that Satan has no claim on Christ. This is your sovereign plan. This shows your love for the Son and the Son's love for you. And that we are in the Son, and we are in you, and you are in us, and so we are secure, we are safe, and we have access to great peace. We now have peace with you, Father, through Christ. We can have peace with one another and peace inside of us because in a supernatural way, you have come to be inside of us. I pray, Lord, that we would focus on the things that give you glory and not focus on ourselves and even on what makes us happy, but that we would find great, deep joy in following you because we love you. Lord, remind us that you have come and made your home with us by your grace. For those who are here or listening and do not know you, they still have this heart of stone, I pray they would cry out to you for a heart of flesh. They would cry out for a forgiveness of their sins. And they would repent and trust in the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, continue to teach us and love us and unite us in Jesus' name. Amen.